In this episode, I'm going to introduce you to Her Royal Majesty, the Queen of Rent-to-Own Investing. Let's go! Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey, y'all. How's it going, Russell Westcott? So we're having fun here. You know what is it? It's... It's late on a Saturday night. If I look at the clock, it's 9.27. 9.27 on a Saturday night. Man, I'm sitting there going, oh, how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> you know, 20, 30, 20 years, no, let's be honest, 30 years ago. Um, you know, 9.30 on a Saturday night, I'd be just getting ready to head out the door and get ready to go out to the old uh, the old club scene and yeah, let, yeah, Russ, let's be honest. I, I never really did go much to the club scene. However, I think I got most of that out of my system in my university days. I actually bartended my way through university. So I had, uh, you know, when everybody was out, uh, you know, drinking away and stuff like that, I was making tips and I was uh, helping serve people. And maybe someday I'll, I'll share the story of how I actually landed my first job. And it had 100% to do with uh, my bartending and I was just helping out um, some people. And yeah, maybe I'll save that for another day. But anyways, um, back to the story at hand here. Be nice and tight and concise here, Russell. Focus, focus, focus. And and, and that's one of the things. Um, I have an episode upcoming that's going to just be a standalone on this. Um, I've been doing lots of networking and hanging out with uh, the community of real estate investors. And just really um, just being, you know, my <laughs> typical kind of fly in the wall and my typical um, shy introverted self. And I'm just, I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening to what's going on in the marketplace. I'm listening to what people are bumping up against. I'm listening to what the challenges people are facing. And one of the challenges I believe that people are facing is shiny object syndrome. People are, are facing, um, they're really scattered on things. And, and I'll just give you a quick example. So in a group of investors on a Zoom call, and it you should have in a group of investors, you should have multiple different people doing multiple different strategies. Like within the group, there should be a, a, a lot of different things, you know, whether they're doing, you know, commercial or, or um, self-storage or apartment buildings or single family or, or things like that. One of the things I'm noticing is individual investors are extremely scattered. They're looking at this place and they're looking at that place. And oh, and there's also Mexico. And oh, but I've heard lots of things about Portugal and I'm going down to Atlanta and I've got all these things in Florida. And that's just one person. So the collective group should have an awful lot of different things. I'm finding each individual investor is really lacking the focus, is really lacking the the best way to put it is really lacking the expertise to go all in and go really deep on one strategy in one area and really know it better than anybody else. So that's just a, a little bit of an observation that I'm having out there in the marketplace right now. And that's maybe just the the couple events that I've been hanging out in. But it, that would be the question that I would ask you. Are you feeling a little bit scattered? Are you feeling a little bit unfocused? Are you feeling that maybe there's some FOMO kicking in and maybe you should be looking at this market and you should be going over here and you should be 
what about multifamily? What about self-storage? And what about uh, luxury condos in Mexico? And what about third, you know, other countries over in Europe and all these kind of stuff? And Belize, oh, wow, it's winter. You know, I hate winter, but let's go look at the tropics. So, are, you know, are, are you starting to feel that? Now, I, I just say that for a couple of reasons. Number one is as we enter into the Christmas holiday time here in Canada, Give some time to just reflect back upon your year, reflect back upon the actions that you've taken, reflect back upon your next upcoming year. And would you, what grade would you give yourself of being focused? What grade would you give yourself on going really deep and becoming an expert at one thing, becoming better than everybody else is at that one thing? Now, it is totally okay if you don't know what that one thing is. That's totally fine. But when you do find it and when you do lean into it, become the best at it. Now, how's that for a segue to our conversation that I had here with Rachel Oliver? She truly is the queen of rent-to-own investing. And it my, my jaw actually hit the floor when she told me how many rent-to-own transactions that she has done. Here's somebody who and she shared a wonderful backstory. She shared the wonderful story about how she got involved on doing rent to own transactions. And she, here's somebody who took a subset within a subset within a niche within something that is very, was very obscure at the time and really just one really tiny subset of a niche within a niche within a niche and just become one of the best at it and then become has become a leader at it, has become somebody who is now growing it and scaling it and taking it to the next level. And that's within the the context of rent to own investing. So I'm going to go, you know, stick around right to the end. I have a couple things that I'm going to share with you at the very end of this episode um, to help you, you know, just kind of give you a a lay of the land of what's happening over the next couple um, episodes and next couple months within the podcast. But I think you will thoroughly love this episode. Matter of fact, I just loved catching up with Rachel. Rachel and I have known each other for a long time. And honestly, we were sitting there. We were probably 20, 25 minutes of just catching up and conversation. And I said, I go, I guess I should hit the uh, hit the record button here because we're, we're going to have all this amazing gold you know, conversation. I don't want it to, to go to waste. So so Rachel and I had a wonderful conversation. And I just wanted to, Rachel, I know you listen to the podcast. I just wanted to thank you for being such a wonderful um, um, leader in the community for real estate investors. And I wanted to thank you for having the co- the conversation that we did have. Okay, gang, gang, all that being said, make sure you stick around right to the end. Make sure you leave the feedback. And then with all that being said, please help me welcome Rachel Oliver. All right, Rachel Oliver, how the heck you doing today? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Russell. Well, Rachel, I was, when we had this uh, appointment booked in my calendar, I was looking forward to it, like on pins and needles on, on things. And and I know you're busy. I know you're, you've got a lot on the go. I think you just came off of a 90 minute meeting and you're running between things. You, you have a very active business that you're running. And I, I'm just grateful. First of all, I'm grateful for the time that we're going to spend together today. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time. I know you're pretty busy yourself. Well, from some days, you know, 
<laughs> Sometimes it's smoke and mirrors, but you know, by and large, when we get up, we hit the ground running, don't we? Until until we go to sleep at night. I think that's the nature of entrepreneurial life. Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm. We're gonna have fun today. Uh, you, I would consider. Now, I'm, I was trying to figure out a word to use, but the best I could come up with is funnest. You're like the funnest real estate investor I know. You and um, have you ever met Shelly Visser out of Calgary? Yes, she has a phenomenal sense of humor. Oh, I tell you, if the, you put you and Shelly together in a room, I, you could sell tickets for that. Because <laughs> it would just be so entertaining to have the two of you together. You're like the two funniest fun people within the within the real estate community that I know. Yeah, we probably would throw a pretty fun party if we collaborated. Well, and I think the reason why I, I, I you know, I gravitate towards people that are very outgoing and the fun is because... I'm very shy and introverted, but by and large, I'm very shy and introverted. And I really get, um, I really gravitate towards the people that are the life of the party. <laughs> I just go, well, I'll just, I'll just uh, draft off of them. Oh, that's awesome. Well, it gives us someone to actually entertain. Yes. There you go. So would you consider yourself an extroverted, an extroverted person? It really depends. I think different situations bring out more of a shy me. And in other situations, I'm a lot more extroverted. I think when we're confident with the people that we're surrounded by or we're confident in the environment we're in, I think it's natural for most of us to have that extroverted persona come through. But there are times when I know to tone it down, situations where there's something to learn, situations that are a little bit less familiar and I have to be a little bit more timid because sometimes listening is better than talking. And I'm very well aware of that. It's taking me many, many decades to get there. But I can finally say I grew into that understanding and that knowing. So I know sometimes when to be introverted and sometimes when to just back off and be a little bit more. Wow. That's very self-aware of you. Very, very meta, right? Well done. Okay. So we were having a conversation off air and I'm sitting there going, I go, I guess, I guess we should hit the record button because we're wasting all this really good stuff. What's <laughs> going on? So, so I have a, I have a, I, I know you and we've known each other and I was trying to sit there and trying to remember, like, how long has it been? Has it been 15 years, probably, maybe even longer since we first met? I would say probably uh, less than 15 years. Okay. Because okay. I started my real estate investing journey about 15 years ago. Okay. And I think I met you maybe about two years into it. Okay. So we're, we're, in, the, we're in the teen teenage years, at least, right? There's Absolutely. Been, there's been... People that have had children and are now teenagers and almost learning to drive since since we've met, eh? Absolutely, including me. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, yeah. Our, our babies are 25, 25, 23, and 20. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, oh, they're I, no longer babies. Yeah, Russell, you, I, have, I, <laughs> you, have, you have to stop using that language. Well, I, 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 there, there are babies. Uh, however, I know my wife is very looking forward to grandbabies that potentially can start coming down the road. But it's, uh, it's one of those ones is out here in Vancouver where the housing prices is so high. It's like we have conversations with our, our oldest son, Marcus, and he just feels a little distraught about um, buying a home and getting into a home. And, and, and you know, lo and behold, uh, living in your parents' basement is not good for the sex life, if you will. <laughs> did you seriously just say that? I but, did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, poor Marcus. Well, I don't think he listens, but 
<laughs> he's got a lot of things. Interesting though, he Marcus has got a pretty cool um following. He does um out here in Vancouver, he has a, a a TikTok channel called Life of a Vancouver Canucks fan. And he just out of fun, out of just watching games, and he's always been a fan and stuff like that. He gets a couple hundred thousand views each time. Now to a point where he just got approached by McDonald's Canada to do a brand deal of the collaboration here. And Marcus has to go in and talk about their, their game day meal. And he gets paid like something like $1,500 per little one minute or 30 second spot that he does with McDonald's Canada as a, as a TikToker. He is what we would, uh, in our generation, call an influencer. Yeah. Well, he's that, but then he also, he, he's working in trades. Like he's, he's working in with a, on a crew with the city of Coquitlam and he's kind of got his feet in both, but uh, very, you know, these kids nowadays, they have a lot more going on than we had going on at the same time. But the point I was trying to get to was um, it's challenging out here to buy a place. And that's one of the, you know, how's this for a segue of segueing into what you do? You, you help people buy properties that maybe can't qualify for financing. You have a very interesting and unique business model. Maybe before we get going, I want you to describe what your business model is, what your expertise is, what you do. And then we're going to take a step back and we're going to get kind of the, the origin story of where you're at. So Clover Properties, what's that all about? So Clover Properties was created out of um, us wanting to help other families get into home ownership while we on the investor side avoid tenants and toilets challenges. I really just didn't have a big appetite for taking on the standard landlording responsibilities. I wanted to work more with people who have pride of ownership, people who have, an, you know, a stake in the property that they are living in. And that gave me a lot more peace of mind. And plus, I'm married to a very, very, let's just say pessimistic and conservative guy. And I call him Mr. No. That's because his initials are N-O, Neil Oliver. But he really is Mr. No in so many other respects. And he basically said to me, no, we're never going to be landlords. No, we're never going to be chasing tenants for, you know, uh, rent checks. And no, we're not going to have to be, you know, unclogging disgusting toilets. And he planted that seed in my head. And I said, okay, well, if we're not going to do it that way. Why don't we look at the rent to own strategy? Because there's less of that and more opportunity to invest with a purpose. And really that that's kind of, you know, it was a, the desire to invest with a purpose of not just helping ourselves, but also helping other families. So, so really you, you kind of found a niche within real estate and it not came out of by accident. It came out of, uh, out of, uh, necessity in many respects, you found kind of a niche on there and you started going down that path. And you've, you've in many, many cases have, um, your business model is, is you've pioneered this in many respects. Like you have a unique business model compared to what most people do. Uh, describe your business model a little bit of what you do and how you help investors with this as well. So you help the homeowners and you also help investors at the same time. So how do you help the real estate investment community? So we're really just the hub um, of putting together a rent-to-own transaction. And in, in a rent-to-own transaction, there's a lot of moving parts. The, the first component is, of course, the home buyer. A home buyer goes to the bank, can't qualify for a mortgage but they have a great job and they have some money saved up for a down payment. And they're really motivated to get out of renting and into owning. And that's where we come in. We can assist them in figuring out what kind of a property that they can qualify for. And then of course they get to go shopping on the open market. There's multiple ways of doing rent owns, but we do 
people first, property second. So once we qualify the people, they go house hunting. We vet that property. And once um, we give them an idea of what their numbers will look like, um, you know, manage their expectations, essentially, in terms of what the rent own commitment will be for them. They then kind of give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down. When they give us a thumbs up, well, that's when we're triggered to go out to our network of investors who are basically sitting on a waiting list. They are technically mortgage ready, have been pre-approved and are waiting to be matched with a home buyer that is looking to rent own a home. And essentially our job is to make a match made in heaven. Wow. So so the, the simplest way of putting it is you you take all the difficult part of the rent-to-own transaction you, the t- to, to qualify tenant buyer, to do the marketing, to go out, to weed through the hundreds of people that come through, to sift through to the cream that rise to the top. Okay. So you, you identify the best tenant buyers, right? And then you take it out and you shop it out to people that maybe want to just get into a turnkey rent-to-own transaction. Is that sim- is, did I oversimplify that a bit? No, that's exactly what it is. You know, rent to own is not for the faint of heart. There are a lot of moving parts. We have definitely simplified it here. But the average investor doesn't know how to qualify people, how to evaluate properties that they're looking at, and then ultimately how to run the numbers and how to put all the contracts together. And if you don't do it properly, you really are setting up a family for failure. And I personally don't want to have that keeping me up at night. So we essentially use our expertise and let investors leverage our know-how, our reputation, our systems, our processes, and our success rate yep. to put together a rent-to-own deal that will allow the investor to sleep soundly at night while they're making above average cash flow. Yep. Yeah, you, you, you pride yourself on a rent-to-own business, not a rent-to-lose business, right? <laughs> Absolutely. That's yeah. a great way of putting it. And, and so, okay, so now I know this sounds terrible, maybe what I'm doing. So essentially you, you qualify people and you sell people to, <laughs> to people, you're almost like you're selling people to investors to help. But at the same time, you're providing a, an amazing service on both ends of, of, this, of the scale as well. So um, if you don't mind me asking, how does, uh, how does Clover Properties, you know, you don't mind, I'm, take a little look under the hood about your business model, if you will, if, if that's okay. How does Clover Properties get compensated and get, you know, keep the lights on on a monthly basis? That's a great question. So we obviously uh, provide a service. Our expertise and our resources are put into creating a rent-to-own deal that is going to be successful, not just for the home buyer, but also for that investor. And we charge a flat fee for that. Now, in some cases, we have done joint ventures, and that was how we got started in the beginning, because Neil and I would qualify some for some mortgages. And then, of course, the banks would say, OK, you have too many mortgages, you're over leveraged. So then we would go to, you know, do a joint venture with family or with friends. And then, of course, they started to tap out. But what was cool is that they started telling their friends and family. And then our phones started to ring and investors started to say, well, I don't want to do a joint venture. I want that $800 of cash flow all to myself. So what do I do with that? So in that case, we say, well, you would have to have, you know, ability to qualify for a mortgage. They would go to their own lender. They would obviously have to have 20% down. They would have to have A++ credit to get an A lender rate so that uh, they can cash flow and, and have stronger return on investment. But we do all the heavy lifting on the rent-to-own logistics side. And when the rent-to-own deal closes, the investor is invoiced for a flat fee. And that's part one. There's also another component. 
Most investors don't realize it, but rent-to-own is not a set-it-and-forget-it strategy. There are hiccups along the way. We have renters who are transitioning their mindset and their habits from being a renter to now becoming an owner. And sometimes they make mistakes and that can derail a rent-to-own. While the average investor who's holding title on the property doesn't really know how to handle those hiccups. And we step in to manage the relationship with that tenant buyer all the way through the rent-to-own process to make sure that they stay on track, that they're paying on time, that they're hitting the milestones for their credit repair and mortgage readiness, and ultimately complying with the contract. And that is a big chunk of the heavy lifting that we do. And we also get paid for that part. And we get paid for that at the back end. Okay, so you get paid a, a fee at the beginning to kind of pull all this together. You get an ongoing kind of a monthly you know, maintenance fee, if you will, uh, to make sure to, I would even call it a, like a client success fee to make sure the client can actually succeed. And then at the end, upon the final closing and completion, you would get a, another fee at that time as well. Got it. Oh, that's absolutely brilliant. Now, I'm not, I, I, I 100% am sincere in saying that's brilliant. And I'm just about to make another comment here of, because I always like to say, I always like to add more. Just imagine if you're able to, to get like 10 to 30% of every deal that flowed through your office as, a, as, an equity, as an equity partner. Yeah, that's definitely something that we have explored. But to be honest, I don't need to have a lot of partnerships. We do a lot of volume with rent-to-owns. And our goal is really to get more home buyers placed in, in a home that they will own. And I don't want to spend too much time micromanaging relationships with investors. I'll be honest with you. Because JV partnerships are hard work. You of all people, JV Jedi, um, knows that. And as much as I love the idea of, you know, having, you know, a a little bit of a stake in every deal, it's very time consuming. And my resources are limited because there's only 24 hours in a day um, when it comes to timing. So we've chosen to focus all of our energy on screening more people for the rent-to-own process instead of, you know, crafting agreements and micromanaging JV terms. Yep. yep. Now, I'm, I'm also going to plant the seed for you as maybe you can find a way to put together the Clover Properties Fund or Income Trust or something like that, where you're dealing with not just ones on one-on-ones, you're dealing with one to hundreds. And it's just kind of a, you know, a little bit more structured because here's the thing is you'd be doing the same amount of work, to be honest. You'd be still doing the qualification. You'd probably still be doing the monthly maintenance. You'd still be on the back end as well. The only thing in between is there probably a, a reporting qualification to, to have to deal with to a group of investors, not one-on-one investors. So just something to yeah, think of. Yeah, I, that's a phenomenal idea. And it definitely has been something that has been on the radar. The challenge I have with that one, I'll be honest, because that's what this is. You know, we're, that we're unscripted and we're being authentic. And I pride myself on being on, honest and open. The thing, the fund that you're suggesting, I, I love it. It definitely makes things easier for us and not having to micromanage the relationships with each individual investor that is backing each individual rent-to-own deal. But once you have a fund, it truly dilutes the profit aspect for the investor. Now, it doesn't require the investor to qualify for a mortgage. It really does reduce, you know, the risk that they're taking on. Um, So they don't get compensated as much when they're taking less risk. 
So for me, when we got started with this, the appeal of rent to own was the significant cash flow, you know, the 23% return annualized, you know, and of course the ability to help someone. Once you bring a fund into the mix, it becomes very transactional and not as favorable for the investor return. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with uh, everything you said. I just wanted to plant a seed and see if it goes anywhere. Because And the reason I'm, I'm planting the seed is because I'm in the same boat myself right now is investigating, putting all this together is because I'm sitting there going, we're doing, you know, we have multiple redevelopment projects on the go right now. And I'm sitting there going, if I, you know, I'm doing as much, I would be doing as much work for a six or an eight unit if I was done doing a 48 unit or a 90 unit type of a thing. Now, the only difference is instead of having one, I'd have to probably need three or four. Now, how do I structure that properly of bringing three or four people together that might not know each other all at the same time to do some bigger deals? That's the only reason I'm asking that uh, question myself. But your business model is obviously successful. Now, speaking of a successful business model, now, we're not just talking one or two or a handful or 10 or 20 or 30. How many of these transactions have you guys completed with Clover Properties? I'm proud to say we're well over 800 deals. 800. Hang on a sec here. Wow. Eight, 800. Wow. That is fantastic, Rachel. Congratulations. And uh, that was just kind of one at a time and starting. When did you do your first one of these kind of, uh, kind of deals? How long has that been? In 2009 is when we first started. So if my math, 10, like 15, or less than... 13, 14 years. Is that right? Yeah, we're going on 15 years doing it. And it was slow at first. We were very tentative and we were very cautious because um, we didn't know what we were doing. And of course, I have Mr. No chirping in the background saying, <laughs> we can't do it like this and we can't take these chances and we can't take those risks. So we had to do it slow and steady. And actually, he was right because at the end of the day, we learned um, what works and what doesn't work. And then we were able to use that knowledge to scale. And then we could obviously create systems and processes that we could just stack these deals um, in the later years. So I'd say the bulk of our rent-to-own transactions happened maybe in the last, let's say, seven years or so. Nice, nice. Well, I, I made a, mo a mental note at about 18 minutes in that Rachel said that Neil was right. So we're going we're gonna to keep this from a secret from him, aren't we? No, we're not going to share this podcast at all. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, Mr. No would never say, Neil, do you want to listen to this podcast? Well, obviously no, right? So. <laughs> of course, exactly. <laughs> you already know the answer. And you definitely don't want to listen at about 18 minutes into the recording or something like that. <laughs> Um, wow. That's so, first of all, congratulations. That's fun. That's phenomenal, a phenomenal track record. And a f so obviously the reason why you've been able to do 800 ish and growing continuously is because you have created a rent to win system and investors have probably done multiple deals and they refer other people and tenant buyers come in and you have, you have wonderful reviews and people, you're, you have a reputation out in the marketplace where in this business of rent to own, there's, <laughs> don't don't take this the wrong way, but it's it's not that difficult to get a good reputation in the rent owned business. You have to do what's right, but the, but the, the point I was trying to get to is there's a some there's a few shady characters in in the in that business as well. 
Absolutely. But honestly, Russell, there's shady characters almost in every business, right? We know investors in the multifamily space that, you know, you have to question the reputation. We know investors that are, you know, just regular slumlords as well. I mean, there's all types of investors and I, I agree. I mean, for me, reputation is was key because when I got into the rent to own space, the first thing that I was alerted to was just how shady everyone's impression of rent to own was. And that was a concern for me. And I couldn't understand why rent to owns were painted with such a negative brush. And when I dug deeper, I could totally see it. I could see where the numbers were being fudged. I could see how investors were treating it like a set it and forget it strategy and doing a disservice to the home buyers because those home buyers do need a little bit more support once they move into the home. And a lot of rent to owns, by the way, back then uh, were coming from a place of property first and people second because rent to own wasn't as mainstream and a lot of people didn't know that, well, hey, I can shop the open market and any property can be made into a rent to own. People were, um, I guess, misunderstanding how it worked. So they thought, okay, well, this landlord is selling me a property, then that's the only rent-to-own property I've got available. And that landlord needs someone to move in ASAP. That's really behind the scenes, you know, what's happening. And that landlord's like, I got to get somebody in there. I got to get somebody paying my mortgage the next month. Yeah, this person is saying they're going to get a second job and a third job. They're going to win the lottery and they're going to get an inheritance and a settlement to be able to keep up with the monthly payments. Great. It's on them. Yeah. And then sign a deal on the back of a paper napkin. Yeah. And that's how I think Rent to Own got a really crappy name because at the end of the day, those people that were brought into the Rent to Own properties, the property first model, those homebuyers weren't properly screened for affordability. And they couldn't keep up with the monthly payments and they lost whatever they brought in as the initial down payment. Because with rent to own, there's no first and last month's rent. With rent to own, that tenant buyer is giving the investor, you know, 10, 15, 20, $30,000 and initially. And if that amount is, you know, that's alluring. If somebody is just sitting there on a property that they can't sell or they don't want to have to, you know, rent out traditionally, and somebody saying, I have $10,000 for you. Will you rent to own your property for, uh, to me? That landlord or that investor is like, yeah, when are you moving in? But in reality, you have to check, well, can that person really exit the rent to own process? And I think there was less of that consideration back when I got into rent to own. So I knew I was stepping into something that needed to, um, needed to have someone integrity driven that is going to elevate the success rate. And elevate the image of rent tone. And I think we've done that. Yeah. Congratulations for, so essentially you've changed the conversation in many respects. You've changed the game. You're, you know, you, you've been like, uh, you know, the Wayne Gretzky of hockey. You've changed the way the game was played in many respects. Right. Um, now, and very key insights you had. One of the biggest lessons I've learned, and I'm not trying to make this about me, but one of the biggest lessons I learned in the pivot of my, even my rental portfolio was going from finding cheap property and cheap area pro forma. Wow, look at the pro forma. It looks great on paper. And then all of a sudden you have to then put a tenant in the place and you, you just wonder why you have a con continual stream of tenants trashing the place and moving out, moving out, moving out. So the biggest shift I made within my business was I actually put the tenant profile first. Who do I want to be in business with? Who is my ideal tenant profile? Let's design the tenant profile. Then let's match the tenant in the area that they want to live in. And then let's match the tenant to the house that they can afford that makes sense for them. So you start with the tenant. 
work your way backwards. And after that, it, it was I'm not saying it's been easy. It's been easier and it's been like a breath of fresh air when you actually put the right tenant in the right area in the right house. So it's a, it was a fundamental shift for what we did in our business as well. Absolutely. I think you and I go back to the rain days. I remember hearing Don Campbell say it very eloquently. We are solution providers, right? As investors, we are providing some sort of a solution. And in, in what I'm doing, it is a solution that I need to make sure is going to serve the people that have the problem. I am not necessarily solving a problem for, from the investor's lens. I'm solving a problem from the home buyer's lens. Where do they want to live? What, are they, what can they afford? How long is it going to take for them to become mortgage ready? All of these considerations is what drives my decision making. And I, I took that away as probably my biggest aha moment as a real estate investor. It's not about the profit. It's about the people and the solutions we're offering yep. them. What you just described fits that mold. I mean, I also have rental properties. I did finally <laughs> move into tenants and toilets and, you know, the traditional landlording thing. To your point, the first thing that I remember saying to Neil is, what would the tenant profile be in this area? Before we even consider making an offer on this property, let's dig a little deeper. Yeah, yeah. And it's absolutely critical that you, you, you do that. But so in the same, same vein, after all of those, you've, you've taken this the next step, right? Uh, and, and I 100% echo what you just said about, you know, another big realization I had was it's about the relationship. And it's about elevating, you know, we're no longer landlords, we're rental housing providers and our tenant, our, you know, tenants are no longer tenants, they're clients. Like, how would you, how do you treat a client? And if you're a rental housing provider, I know it's just semantics and it's just words and all that kind of stuff, but, but it does, it does elevate what we're doing. And I'm not trying to be any grandiose and say I'm, you know, holier than thou and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? I feel proud now about the properties that I have. And I feel proud about the relationship and the management that's in place and the tenant, the relationship with the clients. I just feel very proud about that now, which I couldn't have said that at the beginning in many respects. Like it was like, you're sitting there going, oh, that area. Oh my goodness. You just, (laughs) you, you cover your eyes and you're almost embarrassed about it a little bit. I I think every investor who started out um, through no fault of theirs, had some ignorant moments. You know, you just thought, okay, I'll buy a property and I'll get a tenant in there and everything is just going to be hunky-dory. But at the end of the day, we're solving a need. We're solving a problem. We need to maintain a relationship because challenges do percolate. Um, There are going to be hurdles. And if you don't have a relationship with those people, then it's going to go sideways one way or another. So it's okay to have those humbling um, beginnings. I often joke when you mention that ignorant moment, it's like, I go, what day of the week is that? <laughs> it's like, it's like, I have those every day that end in Y in some respects, but at the same time, I'm always learning. I, I truly am, you know, 23 plus years coming on to soon 24 years of doing this. Um, I'm learning more now than I ever have. I've learned more in the last year about real estate than I had probably in the last 15 years prior. And I'm on fire with what I'm doing with the next wave it's going and, and things like that. I, I foresee some huge opportunities, but that's set that aside. Um, I really wanted to, and we just got in so deep into the weeds of the conversation and that, but 
I'm remiss that I don't know a lot of your full backstory. I know who you are since you've become. I think the first introduction we had was I remember when we were on a panel discussion on stage and then I'm sitting there going, who is this Rachel Oliver? She's written a book and she's done like 400 rent to owns. And I go, how have I not heard of this person before? And I'm just like, it was just, I was so, I was so impressed right from the very beginning. And I don't ever think I've taken the time to learn your backstory. So let's go back as far as you would like to go uh, on this. And maybe there was some moments that you decided that real estate was for you, or there's some pivotal moments where you're growing up. I'll, I'll, I'll leave the, I'll leave the floor to you. Where would you like to go to share some of your backstory here? Well, um, I think it's important, you know, in today's context of Canada being uh, a country that is so open to bringing in immigrants. I, I just want to give uh, acknowledgement to that because I'm actually an immigrant. I was not born in Canada. Um, my parents immigrated here with me when I was nine years old and we came from Ukraine. And back then, you know, I didn't speak a word of English. I, you know, I, I didn't understand the culture, of course. And I owe a lot of gratitude to my parents for taking a big chance coming to a foreign country, a foreign culture, you know, they didn't know a lick of English either. And being in your adult years and trying to, you know, assimilate in this type of a, a culture. I watched for firsthand their determination and their, uh, you know, the challenges and the hurdles. And then they decided, well, we don't really have the language. We don't have the experience. So no one will really employ us. So let's just, you know, put on our entrepreneurial capabilities together and open up a restaurant. We moved to Winnipeg, Manitoba originally when we came to Canada. Yeah, Winterpeg. <laughs> well, a and, good uh, a good community for Ukrainians to go to. Lots of Ukrainians out there. So, so I did. That, sorry, I didn't mean to. I'm not mean to step over here. I did not know you had a Ukrainian background. I did not know that. That actually that actually explains a lot now. So obviously, Oliver is uh, is Neil's name. What what was your 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 maiden name? Bandura is my maiden name. Okay. And Bandura is a musical instrument. It's actually a big uh, kind of like a guitar-like uh, musical instrument from Ukraine. And uh, yeah, so so my last name actually represents a musical instrument. Um, but when we came to, to Winnipeg, my parents jumped into owning a restaurant, a Ukrainian restaurant. Yeah. And... Pierogies, no, and pierogies and halapshis for everybody. Uh-huh. And a little the good borscht and cabbage rolls. Uh, eat, eat, eat. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I grew up in all of that beautiful, splendid uh, Ukrainian cuisine. Even till now, my father makes the best borscht. And uh, luckily, my kids have a, an appetite for it. And then they call Deda and say, hey, Deda, it's time for borscht. The weather's getting cold again. And don't forget the sour cream. Yep. Oh, I, I remember we have some dear friends that were of Ukrainian background and, and Christmas was just, oh my goodness, it was like a nine course feast. And I still remember to this day the the, the cream, the cream wheat or the, like, there was just some, some of the dishes that, that Millie would make were just was spectacular. It was like, it was, the food is amazing. Yes, I definitely, I uh, still have the benefit of enjoying the food. Uh, but anyways, my my background started off with my parents overcoming the barriers um, and not knowing, you know, so many things as entrepreneurs. And I was very involved at an early age in helping interpret and helping them communicate with lawyers and helping them, you know, uh, figure things out. And I remember when I was about 12 or 13 years old, somebody approached my parents about franchising their 
Ukrainian restaurant because my parents had uh, a very successful business and they would have at the time there, you know, there, there were no apps and you couldn't take, you know, make any reservations. And my parents never wanted to deal with the administration of having reservations. So it was first come, first serve. And they would get a lot of publicity. And when an article would come out in one of the magazines or newspapers, well, the lineup to get in was, you know, hours long and people would stand in line to get in. And I witnessed firsthand how hard my parents had to work to earn that kind of um, success. And my, what was interesting is my mom uh, was so offended that somebody is asking to copycat and duplicate her business model and basically do rinse and repeat and pay her for this um, effort. She's like, this is ridiculous. This is the most insane thing. Canada is crazy. And uh, at, at the time, I was only 12. I couldn't really put things into perspective for her. And that was probably one of my biggest regrets as I got older. I don't have a lot of regrets. Uh, I live life full out. And when I look back on that, I wish I was further along in my maturity and my, you know, um, wisdom to be able to have guided her to say, my gosh, this was a fantastic opportunity. So they never pursued it. But I got the entrepreneurial bug, I would say, from my parents. So when I was working full time, you know, over the years, um, after I graduated university, I just like, well, I don't want just a regular job. I want to do something really cool. So I applied for a job uh, where I could meet Michael Jackson. I thought <laughs> I was just like, I'm just an entry level position as, you know, a receptionist. Um, I really want to explore the world, give the world what I've got to offer. So I contacted Pepsi because I knew Pepsi um, had sponsored Michael Jackson. And I thought, well, if I work for a company that has a sponsorship contract with this dude, I'll eventually get to meet Michael Jackson. And I mean, I don't know what, what I was thinking, but I applied and I, uh, you know, three weeks on the job, I got a job uh, in Moscow. So I literally packed my bags because I was, you know, very much like you, single, unattached. I mean, I had a boyfriend I had to obviously say bye to, but I was, you know, 23 years old. The, the world's your oyster. Um, so I, I got a job offer. I remember at the time it was $65,000 US. And, you know, that... A few decades ago, right out of university, I thought, what a bad gig. Um, so I packed up, moved to uh, Moscow uh, to take my job as a marketing manager. And about three weeks into the job, I got a phone call from head office, which was in Austria at the time. And one of the, you know, uh, leadership people in Austria at the Pepsi office said, um, so we have some good news. I'm like, okay. He says, are you sitting down? And I said, I'm sitting down. He said, Michael Jackson is going to be stopping in Moscow for one of his Heal the World tool, uh, tours. And you're going to be interfacing with a promoter and you're going to be meeting Michael Jackson backstage as part of a PR uh, promotion. Wow. Was this, was this pre-hair on fire through Pepsi commercial time or... That's a great question. You know, it was at a time when there was a lot of allegations about Michael and mm. young children, and it wasn't actually the best time because in that same conversation with that Pepsi um, exec from Austria, he said to me, um, you know, as much as you want to talk to everyone, you know, in the media about Michael Jackson coming to Moscow, you have to kind of keep it on the down low. 
And I'm like, why? It's like, well, if you turn on CNN, you'll see why. I wasn't a big news person back then, nor am I now. But really, there was a lot of allegations and there was a lot of bad press around Michael Jackson. But Michael was coming to Moscow. And I'm like, that's all I care about. And then about uh, half an hour after I've hung up the phone with the guy from Austria, reception called me to say CNN is in the reception and they would like to interview you about Michael coming to Moscow. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what a crazy story. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I lived and I worked in Moscow for about seven years. And when I came back, you know, um, I, I, I didn't really know what to do with myself, but I knew I had um, an entrepreneurial spirit because when I was living in Moscow, I also got involved with local business, um, you know, business entrepreneurs, Russian locals who were very enterprising. And I really um, enjoyed working and collaborating with them. And I invested in some of the local ventures. And when I came back, I was like, I really am thirsty for that entrepreneurial experience. And I wasn't getting it here. Of course, I had to take a regular corporate job and it just wasn't cutting it. And I knew in my heart of heart that I'm going to get back to doing something entrepreneurial. And, um, and real estate really was never on the radar, to be honest. Um, it wasn't until I was diagnosed with breast cancer right after having our first daughter that my world turned upside down and I, I had to shift my perspective on how I was going to put food on the table and create more time. And I had luckily had already uh, read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I knew deep down that real estate was going to be the way to do it. I sure hope you're enjoying this episode. Before we jump back to the conclusion, our strategic partners from Streetwise Mortgages are here with another important mortgaging tip. All right, take it away, Dahlia. Hello, everyone. I am happy to finally be able to share with you some interest rate great news. Based on a lot of analysis and reports from economists coming out lately and some highly technical ratings of tea leaves of the bond market trading, there are many who think that mortgage rates will fall in 2024. But not only that, they're expecting them to fall tough. Here's why. The five-year government bond yield recently hit a five-month low and is projected to fall further to around 3.4%. This is a strong and a clear sign that the Bank of Canada will start cutting interest rates in 2024. Based on history, prime rate could potentially drop by 300 points from its current peak of 7.2% down to 4.2%. And that would bring unprecedented relief to those of you who are on variable rate or adjustable rate mortgages. With high rent and mortgage interest inflation set to dramatically ease in the next year, Canada's overall inflation rate may sink below 1% by late 2024. This raises the odds of aggressive rate cuts if economic growth also slows down. So, with fixed mortgage rates are still above the 6% mark, it makes little sense right now locking into a five-year fix if you can comfortably carry a variable or an adjustable rate. And yes, the rates can theoretically spike up, but the market indicators argue that a plunge is a lot more likely in the next five years. As for home prices, lower rates may provide some improvement in affordability, but 
It likely won't last long if immigration and demand stay strong. We will talk more about price forecasts at another time, but for now, the current forecast is that further price declines are likely to be short-lived and the trend should turn around by Q2 of 2024. For now, please know that as of today, December 4th, 2023, as of today's data, variable and adjustable rate mortgages offer you the best chance to minimize interest costs for, you know, qualified borrowers over the next five years. If you're looking to renew into a five-year fix today, essentially you would be donating money to your lender. You would be giving them a Christmas gift. Savvy investors who are looking to enter or expand their real estate portfolio should run the numbers on a variable rate mortgage to maximize their leverage and long-term returns. So if you have a renewal that is coming up, if you're currently experiencing a cash flow crunch, or if you're looking to position financing strategically to expand your portfolio in the next 12 to 18 months, reach out to my team at info at streetwisemortgages.com and we would be happy to guide you. Holy moly, I, I'm glad I asked the question about the backstory. It's like, I honestly think we could probably just do an episode of, of and, 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 you know, who, and I already know who's going to play your the leading part in your movie. By the way, it's like Reese Witherspoon has to play the 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 part or something, or or maybe it just needs to be you, right? That just you're the be the part in your 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 movie, if you will. Um, okay, so what was so you had that experience of the breast cancer, and then reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, and then what was there a moment that says, well, real estate's the path I want to go down? Or did you try a few other things or different uh, avenues from there? Like what was maybe that moment when, oh, I'm going to try this real estate thing? I knew deep down that I I would pursue real estate because I had already mapped it out in my head what the benefits were. And when I had my diagnosis, you know, time was really of the essence. I felt like I had already done my legwork and my research and also, I kind of looked back in time. So remember that boyfriend that I left when I moved to Moscow? Well, what was interesting is that I was with that boyfriend for a few years. And on some of our date nights, he and I would be tasked with driving downtown Toronto to pick up rent check. His parents owned several rental properties in some of the slummier areas that probably appreciated in value to multiple million dollar properties. But back then they seemed like they were on the slummier side. And I'm sure those areas have been regentrified and they're sitting very pretty. But at that time, all I remember is like, we're picking up a rent check from these people that live here. So these people are paying for the house that my boyfriend's parents own and they're making a profit because the property is going up in value and somebody else is handling the monthly payments. I'm not a math wit. But back then, I clued into the lucrative nature of what they had going on. And I, I kind of deposited that thinking. And then when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it compounded my awareness. So I really didn't give it a second thought when, when it came time to figuring out, okay, how are we going to create time freedom and do something uh, that is going to create, you know, short-term cash flow capabilities and also help us build a nest egg for the future, it's going to be r real estate and uh, the rent-to-own strategy 
came up with in them. So did you, so you got the bug and you bit the, you know, you like many entrepreneurs and the, when they first got started too, is, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, that little purple book was a, was a, was a key, a key um, paradigm shift for a lot of people. So I, I actually, when I go back and I read the book and I look at it again now, you know, all these years later, I go, well, really never learned anything from it. It's not, it's not a how to book in any way, shape or form, but it was, it was a very important book because it shifted your view. It, it changed your perception of an opportunity. And it also changed the perception of going, yeah, I can do this. There is another way other than what I was told all my life of growing up and all this kind of stuff. So you discovered rent to own very early in your, in your real estate journey. Did you not? How did, how did that all come about? Of, um, Cause it is a very niche. It was extremely niche back then, not so much now, but how, how did you, how did you learn the strategy? Well, it, it took a little bit of digging. It wasn't something that just came to the surface. I actually had to attend a Rich Dad Poor Dad um, weekend where they introduced you to the gamut of all the different ways that you can make money with real estate. Because I didn't know what I didn't know. So I gravitated to opportunities where I could learn from other people. And to be honest, that was probably the best $500 I ever spent. Not to plug Rich Dad Poor Dad, I don't even think they do those road shows anymore. But what it did was it, it sh- to speaking of paradigm shift, I mean, there were multiple paradigm shifts happening, um, a paradigm shift towards real estate and then a paradigm shift that I don't have to go just the landlording route. There were so many other possibilities. I didn't even know that private mortgages existed back then. You know, I, I, I didn't even know that REITs were a thing. There was just so many different possibilities. But what really resonated with me was the rent-to-own strategy because it had a strong helping component. And I tuned into that probably back in, I would say, uh, 2008. And, uh, you know, then I thought, okay, well, rent-to-own sounds appealing, but I still don't know enough about it because unless you pay thousands of dollars to work with rich dad coaches, you don't actually figure out the how. And at the time, it wasn't that I wasn't interested in investing in coaching. I highly, highly recommend it. I believe in it. What was the deterrent for me is that the coaches were from the U.S. And I wanted to get somebody local that understood the Ontario market in my backyard and could answer my questions from a local lens. So I started uh, to go out and start looking for it. And back then, there was not a lot happening, but what we called that they were little meetups. I located a couple of meetups in in my local market and I would attend them religiously. And I remember there was maybe 30, 35 people at best in the room. And there was this one guy, because in the meetup, they would allow people to come up in front of the room and talk about a deal that they had. And if they were looking for partners uh, or if they were selling something. And it was really a cool way to hear, you know, what's going on. But this one guy kept jumping up and talking about rent to own deals. And at first I, I, you know, I was like, oh, this guy is, you know, unfamiliar. So at the next meetup, he would jump up again. Anyways, by the third meetup, he became a lot more familiar. And I realized that this guy um, has done 20 deals and I was just salivating for the knowledge that he could impart. So I just cornered him and I said, I'm going to hire you as a coach and you're going to teach me everything you know about rent to own. Cool? Cool. In in your typical fashion, just get her get her done right. And who was that? Was that uh, someone we I would know as well? No, believe it or not, he completely fell off 
<laughs> the face of the earth. He's not part of any of the investor cir- circles. Mm. And uh, and I don't even think he, you know, I guess maybe I'm his last teaching client. I don't recall him doing any more rent to owns. Oh. So basically the teacher, the student became the teacher and we never heard from the original teacher ever again. Well, thank goodness that person impacted he probably said, he goes, I have my dream client. I have now passed everything I've on to the right person. Mic drop moment. I'm going to go retire. <laughs> so thank goodness. Thank goodness you did walk up to them and said, you're going to teach me everything you need to know. This is non-negotiable. Um, I got my pen and paper ready. Let's go. Basically. And what was interesting is I hadn't even cleared it with Neil. Oh, so, so I was going to ask it. When did Neil come into the whole picture along the way here? Because we talked about the ex-boyfriend and the rent checks and stuff like that. When did Neil, when did Neil come in? Neil came into the picture when I came back from Moscow. Okay. So that back in, I would say, I think that was 1999 right. when I um, relocated back to Canada and I was really starting fresh. I bought a property, my very first uh, investment property, and that was about 29 years old. And it was a loft uh, near downtown Toronto. Um, And I really just needed to figure out where am I going to go from here? And at the time, information technology was the thing. And remember, I came, my background was marketing. And I thought, okay, well, information technology and marketing eventually have to collide. So I should probably get some education around that. So I enrolled in an information technology institute. And uh, it was a diploma-based program. Um, and lo and behold, Neil decided to um, upgrade his skills and enrolled in the same institute. So we ended up uh, being paired in the same group at the ITI uh, school. And um, well, I recruited him to help me with my homework because very quickly I realized that information technology is about zeros and I's and C++ language that was like, oh my gosh, this is not what I signed up for. But I had already spent $25,000 on tuition. So there was no refunds and there was no turning back. The only thing that I could do is figure out who's going to help me with my homework so I can get that darn diploma and get the ROI on that 25 grand. And that was Neil. Nice. Well, I know, I know from time to time, Neil always, you know, Mr. No and stuff like that. He's always the the little bit of the, the butt end of the joke a little bit, but he, he's has such a wonderful little uh, dry wit of sense of humor about him too. He's such a wonderful guy to, just to get to know. I know he takes it on he, and he wears the Mr. No very proud. I know he, he likes that, but at the same time, he's also a very aggressive entrepreneur all at the same time too, from my interaction with him. Yeah, it is. he has been uh, a wonderful partner in, in this journey of our, you know, real estate business with Rent to Own. We wouldn't have the success that we do if it wasn't for the hard work that he puts in behind the scenes. I truly, truly give him a lot of credit. Well, he does in, a lot of- in order to do 800 plus of these transactions, it's one thing to find tenant, screen tenant. And, you know, that's the marketing whiz that you bring to the whole thing is the whole marketing the lead generation, the qualification, the getting down to the bottom of the funnel and having only the best candidates come out to qualify. To do the ongoing management of, and I know there's not 800 in the pipeline right now, but at any one time, I imagine there's probably 100 or so in the pipeline at any one time. 70 you, to 80 okay. live deals. 
at a time. Yeah. So in order to have 70 or 80 live deals to have that maintenance program going on and all that kind of stuff, you need some serious, um, some serious operations in the background. You need some serious systems and procedures in order to manage this kind of a business going forward too. Absolutely. And we have invested heavily in those systems and processes. But to be honest, I mean, we touched on this earlier. This is not a transactional business. This is a people business. This is about relationships. And Neil is phenomenal at establishing those relationships and helping them flourish. Nice. Love it. Love it. Okay. So you, 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 you found the, the person to mentor you and you know, the, the young Jedi was under the wing and the, the, the Padawan learner. And so you learned all that. And then when was your first, uh, so you did your first rent to own deal. And then when did you kind of discover your business model or was it pretty early in the process for you? I think it happened after our fourth rent to own, um, maybe about two years into this process, because we were never really looking to do 800 or more rent to own deals. That was never really the goal. The goal was at the time to do four. We wanted to just create capital for ourselves to replace my check um, because I was working for a corporation, six figure salary. And I didn't want to go back after I, after I was diagnosed. And I spent half of my math leave with, you know, dealing with cancer and figuring out which appointments and who's going to take my newborn and who's going to, you know, babysit. And it, it was just really hectic. So I felt that I lost about six months of my time with my, as a brand new mother. And I, I lost that time. And then I did eventually go back to work because I didn't have a plan just yet. But it was always in the back of my mind, okay, well, how do I gain my time back? And I, I started to dabble with the whole idea of, of real estate a few years in, you know, after, after I stabilized my health. I think that that was really the key. So back in, uh, so I got diagnosed in 2005 and about 2008 is when I really started researching rent to owns. In 2009, we started doing our first deals. And I think by 2010, 2011 is when we realized, oh my goodness, we're really solving a problem for people. We're really making a difference. And when our first rent to own deal closed, I think it was a two-year deal, the, the love, the appreciation that we got from the family that we assisted was beyond words. You know, here we were, you know, we had experienced a personal setback, uh, you know, financial, health-wise, but we, you know, we never skipped a beat. You know, we never, um, we were, we had stability. We had our own home. We are, at that point, we knew the importance of stability and being able to give the gift of stability to someone who's coming out of a personal setback through this rent-to-own process and seeing how grateful they were and how much of an impact, a positive impact it made on their lives, really, that's what hooked us in. Wow. Wow. And that's when we were triggered to make this a business. Oh, wow. Ooh, we're just uh, we're here with Rachel Oliver, everybody, and she's just dropping bombs left, right, and center here. So, so holy moly. So is everything in remission now? Is everything, is health and everything good for you now? Yeah, knock oh, on wood, yeah. almost 18 years in the clear. And uh, I, I know the timeline because uh, the baby that was born back then is turning 18. And, uh, I, you know, when when she was first 
born and I got diagnosed, I was told by many oncologists that I probably won't see her graduate. And uh, it was a very aggressive form of cancer. Um, but you know what? I uh, I took the challenge on. Yeah. And uh, I, I think I'm, I've beyond survived. I've thrived. Yeah, not only, well, well absolutely. Um, so I, I did not know that part of your story as well. So it's, but I also, I'm sitting here taken back as there's no way you have an 18 year old baby and you're in there. You're like way too young. It's like, it's like you're, you must have a good filter or something like there's no, where, where do you ever get any of these things around your eyes or lines or any of that kind of stuff? <laughs> What's what's Happy your what, a good cream? Yes, there's that's. I was about to say is after we're done, we'll have to exchange uh, uh, skincare <laughs> formulas or something. I'm happy to share. Yeah. Actually, you don't always even need cream. Um, bone broth. Oh, very very powerful collagen properties in uh, bone broth. Man, like I said, I, I should rebrand this, not just, just the most funnest. You're like the most interesting person in real estate all at the same time. Everything from from bone broth, and then we can probably exchange recipes to all this stuff, and world traveler, all this kind of wonderful thing. So, wow. Um, I did want to have a pivot the conversation a little bit, because obviously people in my audience, real estate, as much as... I love the story and, and you always get an understanding of what makes somebody tick in the background of hearing their story. And I'm a firm believer it's who you become in the process more than what you actually accomplish in the process. Um, but I did want to pivot a little bit into, into real estate, like a, a little bit of a, a quick market discussion and also um, a discussion about the business model of rent to own right now. Now, your business model, you do deals probably majority of it in Ontario, but you do have a, a little bit of a, you have some things out in Western Canada as well. Is that a fair assessment to say, first of all? Yeah, absolutely. Calgary and Edmonton. Yeah. But by and large, it's probably like 95% in Ontario, give or take. For the time being, but yeah. it's starting to pick up in the Alberta market as well. Good. Good decision, by the way. Good decision. Um, What's happening out in Ontario a little bit market-wise? Now, I know this is a big, giant conversation, but, you know, if you if you jump onto Twitter, it's like the sky is falling. Or if you go into, if you watch the national media, things are, things are quite dire out there. Um, what's your take on it for somebody who's in the market on a daily basis? And then we'll pivot into how is this um, working out for somebody in a rent-to-own business model? So... When we hear statistics in the marketplace or the news headlines, oftentimes they are alluding to what's happening on a, you know, national level. And real estate, we all know as, you know, professional real estate investors will always say, we're dealing with the local market, not just, you know, a certain area, but as local as the literally the street and the intersection. So when it comes to our real estate business, that's really what we're driven by, those dynamics. Our home buyers that we're assisting with the rent-own process are generally entry-level buyers. So they're buying in the five hundred thousand to I would say eight hundred thousand dollar price point. That's the entry-level spread right now across Ontario. And either five hundred thousand dollars buys you, you know, a shoebox of a condo downtown or close to downtown, or you can, you know, spend $800,000 and get a larger property, but you have to move about three hours away from the core of the city. 
So it really depends on people's lifestyles. It depends on people's uh, budgets. But what we're seeing here in the marketplace is that there's definitely a lot more inventory than there has been in the last few years. And properties are definitely sitting on the market a lot longer. And we're seeing that a lot of the sellers are willing to negotiate more. So that doesn't quite align with what we're hearing in the headlines because the 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 market that we serve is just one portion of the statistic. And when we're looking at a, a kind of like a, you know, Canada-wide stat, it almost, you know, those million dollar or, you know, $1.5 million properties that are sitting on the market that aren't getting any play that have to drop their price tag by 20%, they, those stats seem to override the entry-level stats because of, you know, the, the, the pricing is so, so different. Yeah. But price point that we're in, we are seeing is a lot, I think the, the landscape is a lot more favorable than it has been in a while for that entry-level buyer that we serve. Where things get a little bit hairy is the interest rate. Because the financing is still the financing. And when we're buying that property, we create the monthly, you know, uh, rent payment and the option to purchase payment based on our carrying costs on that property. So if my interest rate is 6.84%, well, the rent is going to reflect that just like it would with any, you know, rental housing provider. That's just how it goes. So anyone who can afford to get into real estate we are able to assist them in that entry-level price point um, in Ontario and certainly in Alberta. Yeah, and and part of your business, and I'm not speaking for you here for a second, I'm, in, I'm adding on to what you just said. Part of your business model is providing a service to help people buy houses. And if there is a large influx of people coming in, you know, the, the pond keeps getting filled for you. So what would you say about them? The, the volume of applications coming through your website or people wanting to look at doing your property on the tenant purchasing side? Is it, is it as strong as ever or is there a difference in quality of the, the people coming through or what would you say there? That's a great question, Russell. The demand for rent to own is currently at record high. We're seeing a very large volume of applicants coming through. But the challenge is, is that Rent to own is not for everyone. Just because someone is applying for rent to own does not make them a good candidate because affordability is really the key distinguishing factor. And the down payment, you know, rent to owns with zero down don't work. I've been an advocate of that. In fact, Neil and I wrote this book just to explain the fact that zero down payment rent to owns do not work. And we hold to that. You know, the tenant buyers that we're bringing into the program have to have about 5% down. And they also have to have the income to support the purchase price of a property that they're picking. And that's where the discrepancy comes in. So it's great that we have all this inventory, but people's incomes are not rising at the rate that prices of homes have gone up. And even entry-level inventory is still, for the most part, locking a lot of people out of the market. So yes, we have an influx of applicants, but unfortunately we're turning down many more people in the process. Yeah. So there's lots of, there's lots of leads coming in. We'll, we'll talk marketing here for a second. Lots of leads. The qualification process has to be tight and not, you know, probably a similar amount of people are coming out the bottom, but there's an awful lot more coming in the top of the funnel, um, if you will, as well. Now, 
And then the business model is getting a little tighter with interest rates going up and the margins are getting a little bit smaller. Um, what are you finding on the future um, cash out valuation at the end? Has things tightened up in your model or are you uh, as uh, bullish as you have done in the past? Or what are you, what are you doing on the future valuations for, for the tenant buyers? So that's the part that I think we've dialed in for the last 15 years. We know the real estate prices go up and down. But one thing that we did very well, and I give Neil credit, is that we locked in a future purchase price based on a very conservative annual growth of four, four and a half percent. And we know entry-level homes are still going to be in demand with all of the immigration that we have coming into Ontario and Alberta. The demand is going to continue to grow for entry-level starting start-out prices. And we are continuing to see growth well beyond an annualized 5% um, appreciation. So on the back end, there's no trouble. Our tenant buyers are positioned for success from day one. And we've been doing this since, you know, 2009. And we haven't really had any volatility or variability there. That part is rock solid. Right. If, if, if I could control the front end as well, we would be golden. Yeah. Well, that's still like at the end of the day, um, your track record is is obviously proven this to be 100% correct. But at the same time, I would imagine that you have, you know, your strategy is to pivot at time of time of exit. You, you don't want people not to close. You want people to close. And if an appraisal valuation doesn't come in, there might be an opportunity of, having a, a vendor take back or secondary financing or lower it a little bit or something like that. You have, you have room to, to maneuver, if you will. To be honest, Russell, on the back end, the biggest variable in volatility with rent-to-owns is the tenant buyer's ability to qualify for a mortgage. The price that we set on exit is actually very desirable and actually leaves money on the table. That was another thing that I learned through Don Campbell always leave a little bit on the table for the other guy. So we allow our tenant buyers to exit with equity and that helps them qualify for a mortgage, which I think is really important. But sometimes if they make stupid mistakes about their credit, that's the biggest reason that rent-to-owns don't exit as planned. And in many cases, we have to go to an extension, but it's not often due to the fact that the appraisal doesn't come in. Yeah. It, okay. That, that's good to know. And I'm not in the business like you're in the business, like you're deep in the business. You're not, you're like the leading edge. And um, that might surprise some people is that it's not the valuation at the end. It's actually the tenant's credit along the way. Are they able to qualify at the end is more importantly than the actual final valuation. And and I know I've done, I've done two, two rent owns. Look at me, Mr. Real Estate Guy. I've done two and both of them the tenant did better than I did. <laughs> like significantly better. Like I made, like, don't get me wrong. I made money. I made maybe like about 18 grand, but this was in a time of a cycle when the market was going just crazy. And my tenant made 42 grand on it. They were very motivated to close the deal. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But at the same point, did you have a hassle-free experience? Oh, 100%. Yes. Who yeah. gave you peace of mind. You had your cash flow. You had your ROI locked yeah. in without any hassles. And I think there's a big price to put on that. And a lot of investors undervalue that too. Yeah, I agree. 100%.
Now, I know you're busy and you probably have another meeting coming up here because you're just always on the go with with what's what's happening out there. But I, I do have a couple things that I, I do want to have a conversation with. And I do have a question I like to leave off at the end. But before we get there, um, so you've, let me just reframe this. You were immigrant. You came to Canada. You saw mom and dad with the restaurant business. You moved along. You were, you know, met Michael Jackson. You were in Moscow, marketing person, entrepreneur, written books, scaled a business model up to over 800 successful in on the works for rent to own transactions. What's the next act for you? What, what, after all that I just said, I'm just like, holy moly. I'm like, woo. What's next for, for, for Clover Properties and what's next for, more importantly, Rachel Oliver? I think it's uh, the next is just go big or go home. I think we have a lot of value to bring to the Canadian market and revolutionize residential real estate and make rent to own more, um, m- more of a standard way of getting into home ownership. We know that there's A lending, there's B lending, and then there's private lending. Well, there's a spot in there for people that need rent to own. And I feel that we still have a lot of work to do and I'm ready. Giddy up. The rent to own the Clover Bank, huh? Clover Properties <laughs> Bank is essentially your, your financing company in many respects and in, in, in a lot of things that you're doing. Oh, absolutely. That's actually a really good point. We do call ourselves rent to own financing. Yeah. So, um, and, and I know you, I, I just, I'm sitting there back here. I'm going to pop a pop, a, a, a big bowl of popcorn and I'm going to be sitting back here. I'm just going to be, just go Rachel go, right? Just because I know you're going to do it. I just absolutely know you will do it. And, and I just want to offer something before I ask the last question here is I'm going to offer this to you is um, you're one of those shining lights in our industry of real estate investing that you do things the right way. You focus on people first. You always will um, have the relationship at front of mind with your investors, with yourself, with also your tenant buyers. Um, I just, I'm not trying to be a fanboy here, but I'm just saying is you do things the right way and we need more Clover properties. We need more Rachel Olivers in this industry because if we had more of you guys, there would be fewer challenges out there. So I just wanted to just offer that to you first. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, last question, and I usually, uh, this is one of my questions I like to leave at the end is, so if somebody was sitting here and they're listening to this and just this fantastic story and Rachel just bringing the fire and dropping multiple bombs throughout, I I should have been pushing the button a little bit more here as well. Exactly. Um, If somebody's feeling a little bit stuck, right, they're just not sure, they're maybe looking at some headlines and they're just not uh, sure what's going on out in the marketplace. And if you had coffee with that person, the person said, Rachel, I'm just feeling a little stuck. How would you help me move forward from there? Well, I think the first question is, what are you trying to achieve? And what is holding you back? Where's the confusion? Because people who are stuck in inaction are usually stuck in, uh, in something is confusing them, something is unclear. And sometimes getting out of our own head and getting those questions out, especially in front of people who have walked the walk or talked the talk, is the best place to start. So, you know, what, what is left unanswered and causing confusion and indecision? And then who can help um, close, close the gap in your knowledge? Um, mentorship is, is a phenomenal first step. 
for everyone who is new to something, whether you're new to riding a bike or you're new to weight training or you're new to real estate investing. You want to talk to someone who can answer some of the questions that are left unanswered. And that will allow smooth sailing to the next step. Wow. So clarity, conversation, collaboration, and I'm going to add one more C, Clover Properties, all in there at the same time. Well done. Brilliant. I'm, I'm, I, it's one of those things It's one of the reasons I like doing this podcast is after I've had a conversation with somebody like Rachel, it's like, Westcott, get your, get your, you know what together, or sorry, let me do this. Westcott, get your together a little bit more and let's, let's go big. Right. I, I, I envision maybe a collaboration down the road here a little bit with maybe Clover Properties and, and a few things that i um, cooking on on that we're looking at as well. And I would be honored if it would be something that you would like to work on together. And um, I liked working with good people. That's the point I'm trying to put put out there as well. So, Well, it takes a good one to know. And so mm-hmm. I'm all in. Well, listen to us. We, we, we have 100% of the two people on this conversation agree that we're good people. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Rachel, why don't we leave it there? I know you got to run. Um, I'm just honored for the time that we had on our, our conversation. And before we do go, well, where's the best place that somebody, if they wanted to get a hold of you and check out your business model or check out what they're on, or maybe just jump into one of these rent to own opportunities, where's the best place to get a hold of, of you at? Well, the best place is to start is hellocashflow.ca. Jump on that website and you'll get access to how to book a call with me. Hellocashflow.ca. Nice. I like that one. How long have you had that domain for? Quite a few years. Quite a few years. It's been a while. Nice. Well, well done. So gang, I strongly encourage you to check out what Rachel and Neil are doing. They're people that you want to get to know. Um, Rachel's just spreading her wings a little bit more into the social media world. And, and you, you just need to, you're, you have such a wonderful personality. You just need to show that a little bit more because you're fun. You truly are. You put the fun back in, in, in fundamentals, if you will. Thank you so much, Russell. All right, gang, with all that being said, you have yourself a wonderful day and we'll talk to you very soon. Bye for now. So what did you think of that episode? Wasn't that a fun story? And, and it was interesting as, you know, as much as I knew Rachel and knew who she was and what she stands for and knew a lot of her backstory, actually didn't know a lot of the stories that she shared on this episode. So once again, Rachel, thank you very much for your time and sharing with uh, our audience. So gang, that's another one in the book. What is that episode? Episode number 179. Fantastic. So we're, we're leading into the Christmas season here of 2023. And I have a really fun present that I'm going to give to you over the next four episodes. So they're going to be coming out over two weeks. Um, going to come out on the 19th, 21st, 26th, and 28th of December. There's four episodes. I'm not going to give you any more detail other than um, it's a little bit of a gift from me to you, a little bit of a present from the from the archives. And um, it's going to be very inspirational. And even if, um, no, I'm not going to give any more. I just would uh, encourage you to stick around over the holidays if you got nothing else to do. And you're you're maybe finished with all your boxing days and Christmas shoppings and family time, and you're looking for looking forward to the next new year, and you're looking for some inspiration to kick things into gear. 
those next four episodes will just take things up to the next level for you. And with all that being said, this will come out. This is coming out on a couple of weeks before Christmas. Um, if I haven't had a chance to wish each and every one of you, if you celebrate, I wanted to wish each and every one of you a fantastic Christmas and a happy new year. And I have some incredible things up my sleeve for us, us, and I say us as uh, very intentionally for us as a community and for us as the listeners of this podcast. If you're, um, if you're in, I'm in, and I think it's time to go ham. And if you know what H-A-M stands for, please send me an email and tell me what that means. But I, I know what it means. Um, I hope you know what it means. And if you don't, ask one of your kids what ham going, going ham means. All right, everybody. With all that being said, have yourself a wonderful vacation time. And in every interaction you have with somebody this coming holiday season, please leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now. Bye for now.